Welcome to Food Forward, Nourishing the World, with your host, Alan Weiner. Over the next hour, you'll explore the innovative and ever-evolving solutions in everyone's favorite topic, food. Now, here's your host, Alan. Greetings, everybody, from the Sunshine State. My name is Alan Weiner, and I'm your host for Food Forward, Nourishing the World, here on Voice America. Each week, we will explore the innovations and trends shaping the future of food. From sustainability to technology, we'll uncover the flavors of tomorrow. In short, we will discuss all things food, some crucial to our well-being, and as you'll find out later today, some just for fun. Even though we've been on the week on the air, pardon me, for 13 weeks, if this is your first time tuning in, welcome. If you are a returning listener, thank you. And all keep in mind that all episodes of Food Forward Nourishing the World are available on demand and on your favorite podcast uh, platforms. Keep in mind also the audience is crucial to the future of Food Forward. I want to hear from you. You can email me at alan at foodforwardradio.com and or follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and TikTok. So with that out of the way, let's get started. Well, you've heard of farm to table. What about restaurant to table? Today on Food Forward, Nourishing the World, we have a very special guest, Connor Harbison. Connor is the founder and operator of Atlas Urban Farms. And unlike a lot of other uh, indoor growing medium, Connor goes after a very particular market, and we'll have him discuss that right now. So, Connor, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be on. Definitely. So I've seen some podcasts um, and interviews with you, and you have a very interesting story on the inspiration that led you to starting Atlas Urban Farms. Can you kind of give us a nutshell of, of how you got to where you are? Yeah, it, it is uh, kind of a journey. Uh, it, it all started after a hike in Wyoming. Um, I was coming down from the mountain and I wanted to get a beer and a burger uh, in Jackson, Wyoming. I came into town and across the street from the brewery was a vertical farm. And I looked at it and I said, that's the future. And then I didn't think about it for three years uh, until I started business school and I started thinking about what I wanted to do afterwards. Um, so it's been quite a journey since then, but a lot of ups and downs, but that's that's where it started. Right. I also remember you saying um, something about sustainability and chefs, which had you target chefs and all of the waste that they go through. Talk about that for a second. Yeah, we we had initially been looking at a lot of different clients, um, you know, schools, uh, apartment complexes, co-working spaces, and they actually all pulled out and we, we weren't really sure what to do. We had this great technology, but didn't know who might be able to use it. So I started just talking to people, trying to understand what are the problems out there? What does the food system look like? And I was speaking to one chef and he offhandedly said, oh yeah, I throw away like half of my produce. I said, wait, can you say that again? And he, he repeats himself. He's like, yeah, about about half uh, half of the herbs, a little bit less of, of different ones. It, it varies night to night, but I said, wait a minute, you're throwing them away because you know they're mishandled or it's not stored or you can't project uh, the proper demand. We could do that if you just grow it in-house. And that was sort of the, 
the impetus that was that was our our biggest pivot to date uh, and that it's really taken us to where we are today so talk about the product life cycle um you started i would imagine that you grew or built a a test piece a, a test vertical farm and then have grown since since then so talk about the the origins and how you first uh built your first vertical farm piece yeah i i was originally looking at rooftop farming which is very different um but i realized i didn't know anything about growing food so i googled hydroponics and i found a youtube video and i built a six foot tall tower out of pvc in my apartment just like you know any normal person does of course um and it's still standing in my apartment whenever i have people over i have them sign it so it has all this looks like graffiti but it's grown kale it's grown strawberries it's grown herbs it's grown spinach it's grown all these different types of things and that was sort of the first um first shot at this and from there we went to bigger systems we bought some from other companies to sort of see what was out on the market uh and we've developed uh now what we're calling the mini um which is a much smaller version but uh, it really packs a punch so the the market for vertical farms and other uh hydroponic and hydroponic like systems has had its ups and downs when it comes to consumers um was that part of the reason you went after chefs because it was a a market space that was maybe not a white space but one that was in need yeah i think you have to understand the market for people who eat is everybody but you can't really build business on oh, i'm to sell to everybody you have to be very specific um chefs care a lot more about the food that they buy and use than the average person does and there's not really a differentiator in consumers minds around hydroponic food the way say organic is a is a is sort of a brand in consumers minds um so it's it's less like hey this is hydroponic and more this is fresher it's better flavored you can sort of customize the flavor it's there when you need it and oh by the way we're doing that with hydroponics rather than putting the technology out front if that makes sense oh it definitely does so kind of rewind a little bit and and talk about your first sale you know who did you sell to what was your pitch and how did they receive it yeah so we're we're actually still pre-product and pre-revenue um but we've had a number of pilots and you know ultimately every sale is is i would say similar you know you you shouldn't go in there saying hey i have this great thing i've got the best thing since sliced bread you really have to go in and say so so tell me about it. what are the problems you face what are the problems you're every day what's your what's your routine look like and understand is there a place we can come in and help you save you time save you money um there have been a lot of people who i've i have thought hey i could i could really improve your life and after learning learning about them it's like you know what this is not the right fit i totally understand that wish you the best of luck mm -hmm. um so I'd, I'd say it's it's really you you have to go in asking questions not just like i've got the best thing ever um even though i do think our product's pretty great yeah no definitely is there a particular type of restaurateur that you're you're targeting is it one that is you know a more high-end or do you find that every restaurant is looking to improve its supply chain god you know look more at sustainability um what's the market look like yeah the the, re the restaurant 
world, uh, there's nearly 700,000 restaurants in the United States, uh, and it's highly fragmented um, across different cuisines, across different locations, across different uh, price points. Um, you, you can segment it basically however you want. Um, we found that higher end restaurants tend to tend to have the bandwidth, tend to have the money, tend to have the uh, be able to pass the pass the quality onto their customer. Um, but we, we've actually taken a step back from restaurants and we're looking more at test kitchens, culinary schools, um, and research chefs, uh, as our, as our device is, uh, smaller. We had initially designed a, a larger version, uh, with a yield of about a pound per week. And we've scaled it down to test. Uh, people started saying, Hey, I want that. And we said, will you pay us for it? And they said, yeah, it was great. We'll build this. So it won't just be a prototype. Um, and so we, we expect a larger version that might be better for uh, restaurants or, or, you know, food service, whether it be cafeterias or catering or something like that. Uh, we expect that, you know, near the end of next year um, or early 2025. But for right now, we're focusing on these test kitchens. Um, I sort of compare our, our current device to a 3D printer in that you can make a small amount of something that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. And it's not great for full-scale manufacturing, but it's really good for testing things out. And that's that's where we are right now. When you say testing things out, that, that kind of makes me think of some uh, unusual or exotic things. Um, is that the goal? If I'm a, if I'm a test chef, uh, I want to try kind of, you know, a, a new piece of produce or a new herb um, that I haven't been able to grow before. Or is it more for just traditional or both? Uh, it's certainly both. I think that those more exotic things are maybe more exciting. Uh, that's sort of the, the, the sexy headline, so to speak. Um, but certainly, you know, we have experience with dozens of types of leafy greens, uh, tomatoes, strawberries, lots of staples like that. Um, but I think one of the, the big draws is that we can say, even taking your, your standard herbs like a Genovese basil, you can grow it your way. You can adjust the settings through the watering, the lights, the nutrients. You can have leaves that are bigger than your hand. You can have it very spicy. You can have it very sweet and take the same seed with no genetic modification and have a very different outcome just by uh, shaping the different uh, conditions that it's in. You can really think of our devices as miniature ecosystems and that you, the user, have uh all of the control at your fingertips. We, we have an app that you can go in and, and it's very easy to use. You don't have to be a botanist. You don't have to be a Michelin starred chef. You can just go in and adjust a few things and, and the device will do it on its own. So by, so being a smart device, then um, you can adjust the watering, you can adjust the, the, the light, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. So that, that raises a question, you know, chefs are busy. And they've got, you know, a lot, pardon my pun, on their plate. Um, is there an education that you think you're going to need to give them? I mean, hydroponics is, compared to other technologies, relatively simple. But still, it's technology. And chefs aren't always the greatest technologists. Um, do you think that you're going to need to kind of hold their hand for a little bit? Oh, uh, absolutely. Um that's one of the reasons we've stepped back from the restaurant chefs and, and focus more on these research chefs because they're not uh, the people who are making a hundred covers or more a night. They're saying, okay, I'm, I'm spending a week or weeks or, or months developing a recipe and it's, it's a slower, more iterative process. Um, 
and I think our our current technology, the the current state of it, it's much more uh, a much better match for that than than okay. We have 200 covers a night. They each one has to be the same. Uh, I've got a million things going on, and someone just dropped you know table fours entree. You know, um, I, I think you're a, a thousand percent right. Yeah, definitely. So one of the issues that I've I've had with some of these products is that what you can grow is a fairly narrow choice. I mean, you certainly, uh, at least at this point, can't grow root vegetables. Is there a companion piece that you've thought of that maybe, you know, wouldn't necessarily be in physically in the restaurant, but maybe outside in their garden that could, you know, use the same technology and grow beets and potatoes and carrots? Uh, that's a really good question. Uh, we actually haven't done anything around root vegetables. Um, and I would say that we actually take a much more restrictive approach than a lot of the other companies in this space. They'll say, hey, we have a catalog of 50 different types of plants you can you can get the seedlings for or get the seeds for. Uh, right now, we're really only focusing on three or four because we want to be really good at those three or four. And once we know we can, can, we can deliver consistent world-class results with those, we'll add more. But I, I think the I think the um, the the error in this field is that people try to go a mile wide and an inch deep, and we would rather be very focused early on and say, "Look, our basil, best basil in the world. We don't do parsley yet, but we will." And the same process that we got to having the best basil in the world, we'll bring the parsley, we'll bring the strawberries, we'll bring to to lettuce and asparagus and, and all of those. Um, and certainly, we're looking at the way. Uh, we might take advantage of, of, you know, adjacent technologies to to get to stable crops, to get to, like you said, root vegetables. But um, we try to be very focused. So um, when somebody will eventually purchase your system, does it come, is it just the, the mechanics of the piece and the technology? Or do you sell like seed pods um, and, and all of the supporting things or just the the physical device and uh chefs put their own seeds in uh we'll have all of it yeah so we're planning to deliver the seedlings such that uh chefs can set it up and within a few days germination is pretty tricky mm -hmm. um you know think of it as, as you know uh little babies need a lot of a lot of attention and that's what a, a seedling is so we try to get them to the point where they're robust enough that it, they're very tough to kill. They go in the device uh, and the chefs can uh, see a result basically right away because uh, we want that, that reward loop to be pretty tight. Now, once you become a, a mature product in the marketplace, I would imagine that chefs are going to say, you know, I'd like one of these for my house because I'd like to, you know, have the same thing at home that I have here, um, which kind of is a tricky part of the business, which would take you into the commercial space. Does that interest you in any way? Uh, yes and no. I think that's a really crowded market. So we've been a little wary of getting into that. And there's a lot of companies doing that already. I will say, I think our current device, uh, the mini has a lot of use in private homes. And while, you know, I say research chefs, culinary schools, those are our focus. If individuals, if consumers want to buy our device, I'm not going to turn them away. Mm, definitely not. 
Um, well, our guest for this particular segment has been Connor Harbison. Connor is the founder of Atlas Urban Farms. Connor, if people want more information, whether they're a chef or somebody looking for just some background, how would they contact you? Uh, you can go to our website, atlasurbanfarms.com. Uh, my email is connor, C-O-N-N-O-R, at atlasurbanfarms.com. Uh, you can also check us out on LinkedIn and Instagram at Atlas Urban Farms. Um, so those are all the, all the ways. Terrific. Connor, thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back with more on Food Forward Nourishing the World after this message. From the vivid imagination of acclaimed author Alan Weiner comes a mystery series that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Meet Max Rosen, a spirited young newspaper reporter who finds himself entangled in a web of suspense, secrets, and danger. In What Goes Up, Rosen's instincts lead him to a mystery that soars beyond expectations. This journey continues in Tickle Takedown, where the stakes get higher, the mysteries deeper, and just when you think you have him figured out, Max evolves a nose job, taking us into the mature and thrilling world of investigative journalism. Alan Weiner crafts a world filled with adventure, where every clue counts, every lead matters, and every page turns faster than the last. Dive into the Max Rosen Mysteries series today. Available now on Amazon.com. Max Rosen Mysteries, where intrigue and adventure await at the turn of every page. Brought to you by Alan Weiner, writing stories that take you on a journey, one mystery at a time. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Food Forward with Alan Weiner. Have a question for Alan or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Food Forward, Nourishing the World. I'm your host, Alan Weiner. It is my pleasure to welcome Jonathan Golod, CEO of Breville, to the show today. Jonathan founded Breville with the mission of reinventing the alternative protein industry through advanced technology. In a few short years, Breville has become the leader in optimized alternative protein creation with products sold worldwide. Jonathan's visionary leadership and relentless focus on innovation have been the driving forces beyond the company's meteoric rise. Today, we'll be discussing Breville's unique approach to alternative protein development, the future of food and beverage, and his advice for aspiring entrepreneurs. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Adam, for having me here. Thank you very much for the humbling introduction. Uh, I wasn't expecting it. <laughs> it is well-deserved. So your protein is created from microalgae. For those of us who don't understand it, including me, can you explain what microalgae is? Of course, yeah. Um, so microalgae is basically microscopic algae. So it's not like algae you eat with your sushi or your uh, salad. Uh, these are microscopic single-celled 
plants basically that live in aquatic environments. Uh, basically, it looks like uh, green water. They, and microalgae have been evolving for more than two billion two billion years to be extremely efficient in terms of resources. Um, they proliferate uh, with very little resources, and basically, microalgae produced all of the oxygen we have now in the atmosphere. And on a daily basis, they are part of 50% of the oxygen cycle uh, in our atmosphere. Uh, they've begun actually two billion years ago. They're the first organisms to have, to develop the, the ability to use external energy outside of Earth to to evolve uh, very efficiently. So we're using um, microalgae as the source of protein. Now, microalgae, uh, I mean, they've been known for many years to be uh, among the leading candidates for the future of our nutrition. However, they have they have a very challenging flavor, um, as you can imagine, like a, a sea-like uh, flavor. And their cost is simply not relevant for the food industry. The cost of production is uh, relatively very high due to the current uh, technologies used. And so they haven't been been able to really become this potential of solving our uh, sustainable nutrition for for the future. And this is exactly what we can do. Right, so I I will touch on the technology in a second, but let's rewind a little bit. What was your inspiration to even start Breville? And so uh, Breville was actually founded by myself and my two brothers, or three brothers founded the company. Um, my younger brother, he's a mechanical engineer and he's actually the one who came with the idea. So he worked in a different microalgae company and understood that the biggest barrier of this industry is the way microalgae are produced. Um, and he had ideas of how to do it completely differently. Um, and he's, he's, he's always been uh, looking for solutions for large problems using technology. Now, I myself, I've been vegan for the past decade and a bit, and uh, I have three small children. Um, and basically, every morning when they eat the cereals, they eat, they use a, a plant-based milk, a rice milk mostly, which is basically uh, water and sugar. And it doesn't have any nutritional value. And this is the same for almost for many plant-based alternatives out there if it's plant-based cheese plant-based meat as well um, which have relatively low nutritional value and many challenges in terms of the of the of, of health using these uh, uh, solutions and um, I have a drive to to make uh, our nutrition much more sustainable and much more healthy uh for for my kids and for the planet as well and uh our third brother he's he's a doctor he's a medical doctor and he sees the the challenges of nutrition and effects of health with nutrition and so out of these three different aspects that each one of us brought together was a significant drive in wanting to do something large and and global scale to really drive a change in our food industry and it came together into this uh, venture we started um, using microalgae and, uh, and through technology, improving and enabling this huge potential to become a, re- a reality. I think as vegan to vegan, you would agree that the first generation of kind of mass consumer vegan products are, are pretty highly processed and to your point, low in nutrition. 
So would you say that we're beginning to enter a new generation of products that have greater nutrition value and are healthier for vegans? Absolutely. But I want to first start, um, I think the, the, the first wave of uh, plant-based uh, applications is heavily criticized. And I think uh, that, that, it's, uh, that it's not right. I think uh, companies uh, out there that have developed plant-based burgers and other solutions have done an amazing job in really bringing plant-based uh, solutions into the mainstream uh, industry, which is which was a really big barrier, which they managed very successfully to overcome. And like any uh, big shift that is needed in different areas, uh, we need to find the second and third and fourth waves um, to improve and then the waves uh, before it. And now the time has come to to take, to sit on, on the shoulders of these giants, which may, which did amazing work and really now improve the plant-based uh, movement uh, uh, into becoming more, more healthy and also more sustainable for our planet. Mm. Uh, the current sources like soy and pea are good, but not good enough if we're looking to have sustainable nutrition for, for the growing, for the growing uh, population, we need to find much more sustainable solutions for our, our environment, for the rivers, for the oceans, for in terms of uh, CO2 emissions, land use, water use, pesticides and chemicals. And we must move into new sources of protein, oil and other nutrition uh, ingredients. So I think the other issue is is basically a business one, isn't it? In that a number of the existing um, solutions are really hard to scale, both from a physical standpoint as well as a cost standpoint. And I think that's you know, for example, you know, um, cultured meat is facing that issue, so that when you buy cultured meat, it's not a thousand dollars a pound; um, that it's down to a cost. And it's my understanding that you don't have those same issues when it comes to scale and production of your alternative protein. Is that correct? Yes, this is a very true point. If we really might want to make a big change in the food industry, uh, we must find a solution which is, uh, um, which is relevant in terms of cost, in terms of quality, and in terms of sustainability as well. Um, and we cannot rely on solutions that provide a niche, that provide solutions for, for niche applications. I mean, that could be a good business case. I mean, some companies are going for niche applications, which is great, but our mission in Brevel is really to drive change on global scales. And for this, we must find, must be able to produce protein and other ingredients as well um, at cost parity with existing uh, sources out there. Uh, mostly soy protein. I mean, if we cannot get to cost levels of soy protein, um, we can still run a business, but we won't be able to make the change that uh, that we want to do. And so our technology really enables us not only to produce a very high quality protein in, in terms of functionality, in terms of flavor, in terms of, of color, in terms of, of usages, but also at the cost level comparable with the, with uh, with soy and pea protein, which are the main sources of uh, plant-based protein today. So is it the other issue, and you just raised this, is uses. So a lot of alternative proteins are built to be used in a very specific application, whereas 
Yours works in a number of applications, and we'll get to a couple of those in a second, but isn't that a distinct advantage? Right, yeah, so um, the main challenge of new sources of protein is the issue of uh, also functionality in terms of what, uh, uh, besides nutritional value, what does what can it provide in terms of texture, gelation, foaming, or other properties to food applications? And and the biggest challenge is also flavor and color. Um, bringing a protein source which is not tasty doesn't really isn't really relevant for many applications. Um, soy protein, for example, or pea protein, have challenging. I mean, they they can be used. Uh, it's in small quantities in in cheese applications, for example, which need uh, a relatively neutral flavor. Um, they they're used heavily in, in plant based meat applications, which can be which where the flavors can be masked easily. But many companies, especially dairy uh, alternative companies, are looking for sources of protein which can be added in in high concentrations to really mimic the nutritional value of the original product. And today there isn't there simply isn't a good solution in the market that provides uh, nutritional value at high concentrations without compromising flavor uh, or without compromising price significantly. And this is exactly what, what our product uh, it shines uh, exactly where it can provide a solution. Uh, we have a very neutral flavored uh, protein, uh, very neutral color and significant functionality. And so we're actually relevant for the whole uh, food industry. And significantly where uh, flavor uh, is a big challenge, which as I mentioned is plant-based uh, dairy, which is plant-based uh, milk, plant-based cheese and other applications. Um, and of course, we're relevant for plant-based meat and others. But this, this is a big challenge today in the food industry. Now, I know that you announced a relationship with V Garden, and I know that V Garden is working with some dairies in the in the United States in terms of distribution. Can you kind of give us an update as to you know what's going on with that? Right. So uh, we're actually working with many different uh, uh, plant-based uh, dairy companies. This is our main focus today. Uh, we're sending sending out. Uh, we're working uh, heavily with the R and D teams and marketing. And developing applications, uh, which which they they develop. Maybe I should say we are a B two B company, so we're not developing the end applications uh, that will be on supermarkets on shelves. Uh, but we're providing an ingredient for many different uh, companies to improve the products they have to enable new kinds of products. Uh, Vigordon is, is one of these companies, um, and we provide them with ingredients which they then use in their formulations and their uh, end products to provide uh, better nutrition, uh, more sustainable for the environment, um, and higher quality for consumers. So with V Garden and their distribution partners, is there anything on the shelf today, anywhere that has um, your microalgae protein in it? So uh, not yet. We're actually now in the final stages uh, building our first large-scale commercial factory in Israel, which we will be able to produce uh, at a capacity uh, which will will be re relevant for many different companies. Um, uh, so we expect during 20, 2024 and onwards to already start producing and getting into products on shelves. Now, what are the challenges in building such a facility and scaling? Is it a time issue? Is it a resource issue? Um, what challenges do you face? Right. So this is this is an excellent question. 
So we're actually, as, as a startup, um, we're actually a kind of a, of a hybrid of a startup and an industrial manufacturer. And this is very challenging in terms of, of, uh, of, of time and, and expectations. So basically, we, in order to produce the volumes of protein that are relevant for the food industry, we have to build large factories. So first, initially, we, we, we developed a unique technology, which we use to get to out of the things I mentioned. But then we have uh, also to develop out of the processes of, of, of uh, out of the biological processes, and then uh, extraction processes of the protein, and then also to develop uh, uh, food applications, which we can then uh, provide solutions for our customers, for our partners. But then we also have to build factories to be able to, to produce at very large capacities. And this, this takes time. Um, and this is, this touches also on what you mentioned in terms of, uh, of scalability. And this is the main focus of ours in terms of providing a technology in which in terms of, of cost and ability to, to assemble and, and operate, which is really relevant to, to global scales, not only to build a small factory to produce a few thousands of tons, we actually have to, to be able to produce millions of tons annually to really be relevant for the food industry. And this is something that uh, takes and will take time. It's similar um, uh, with, uh, there's, there are many, many parallels with the car industry, with the electric vehicle industry, where developing an, a very efficient electric vehicle is one thing, but then the next challenge is to electrify the whole uh, road system around the world to really be relevant, uh, I mean, to, to, to have uh, charging stations in relevant uh, distances and building all of the infrastructure in terms of manufacturing these cars and providing the, the service and everything for these cars, which is a whole different scope of challenge from just developing the, the electric vehicle itself. And this is exactly where we're now standing when is we're now entering this next phase of really building the infrastructure and the, the capacity that is needed to really provide the solution in global scales. So using that same analogy, um, as you look down the road, will you be able to handle a, a global scale from a production facility in Israel, or will you need to build satellite facilities? Right, so uh, we understood very early on that as a company, as, I mean, as a single company, we cannot do this alone. I mean, this, this is a huge, challenge in terms of building the, the production capacity. And also as a company, we don't have an, a specific advantage in industrial manufacturing. We're good at developing technology and improving it, developing new products, working with new strains of microalgae, um, being, being a tech company. Day-to-day uh, -day manufacturing isn't our expertise. And so all of the manufacturing would be done through joint ventures and licensing with different partners in different locations of the world. We already have several partners where we have initial agreements with to build large facilities, which they will finance and operate. And we can provide the technology and uh, the know-how and how to operate it. And so moving on, we will be building large facilities in different locations where protein is needed uh, and other ingredients as well. Wonderful. Well, we look forward to more and more products on the shelf for vegans like you and I that not only taste good, but have nutritional value. I'd like to thank Jonathan Golan, CEO of Breville, for being our guest today on Food Forward Nourishing the World. I look forward to 
checking in with Yonatan from time to time to make sure that things are going well and learning some of the latest news. We'll be back after this message. From the vivid imagination of acclaimed author Alan Weiner comes a mystery series that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Meet Max Rosen, a spirited young newspaper reporter who finds himself entangled in a web of suspense, secrets, and danger. In what goes up, Rosen's instincts lead him to a mystery that soars beyond expectations. This journey continues in Tickle Takedown, where the stakes get higher, the mysteries deeper. And just when you think you have him figured out, Max evolves a nose job, taking us into the mature and thrilling world of investigative journalism. Alan Weiner crafts a world filled with adventure, where every clue counts, every lead matters, and every page turns faster than the last. Dive into the Max Rosen Mysteries series today. Available now on Amazon.com. Max Rosen Mysteries, where intrigue and adventure await at the turn of every page. Brought to you by Alan Weiner, writing stories that take you on a journey, one mystery at a time. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Food Forward with Alan Weiner. Have a question for Alan or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Food Forward, Nourishing the World. I'm your host, Alan Weiner. I'd like to thank Connor Harbison, the founder, CEO of Atlas Urban Farms, and Jonathan Golan, the CEO and founder of Breville, along with his two brothers. So for this segment, we're going to talk about the holidays. So we are two weeks and one day away from Thanksgiving, and then about a month later, um, Christmas. And one of the central themes of both these holidays is food and eating. So I want to present some tips, tips to kind of get you through the holiday without getting bloated and really enjoying what you eat. All right, so let's go through some tips. And unfortunately, I have some comments on some of them. Uh, number one, eat breakfast on Thanksgiving and Christmas morning to avoid overeating later. Hmm, interesting one. Number two, use smaller plates at holiday meals to control portions. Now, I've eaten in a lot of different holiday meals, and if you were to give me food on a, on a small plate, I would ask, is every other plate in the dishwasher? Number three, fill up on fiber-rich fruits, vegetables, and whole grains before indulging in treats. Yeah, I, I like that one. Number four, choose lean turkey, fish, beans, or tofu as lower-fat protein options. Just as an aside here, um, but doing some experimenting on alternative to soy tofu. If you have a moment and you're interested in creating your own tofu for just a few cents, 
there's a uh, YouTube site. I think it's called Mary's Test Kitchens, where Mary goes through the creation of tofu using a variety of different beans and legumes. And we've tried this actually with chickpeas. and It's kind of fun. So you can dazzle your guests with alternative tofu, particularly if they have soy allergies. Use your host to ask health to use healthy oils and cooking methods like baking, broiling, or grilling. I'll tell you, living in the South, um, fried turkeys outside is kind of the way to go. So, if I were to tell someone, um, take it out of the fryer and put it, you know, in the oven, I'm not sure exactly what would happen. Stay hydrated by drinking water before and during the meal. Okay, I like that one. Manage your blood sugar by eating at your normal meal times. I think that that's kind of fun, but um, I imagine telling your host that you're ready to eat at 6.30 when the meal is being served at 8 o'clock, that will go over quite well. Bring a healthy dish like a vegetable tray to share. Get moving before or after meals by taking a walk. And that takes me down memory lane because when we would have Thanksgiving, over at my aunt and uncle's house, my uncle would take us for a walk after dinner to the neighborhood bowling alley. It sounds kind of weird, but it was actually a lot of fun. Allow yourself small treats, but balance them out with healthier foods. I can't argue with that one. So I also made a list of some vegan main dishes and sides that you can serve at a vegan Thanksgiving dinner. And this would not only be if you were having only vegans at your house, but introduced to people who are used to heavy meals, who don't really know that you can eat quite well being a vegan during the holidays. Um, these are some ideas. So number one, you can make a roast turkey from Saitan or Tofu. Brands like Tuferki and Field Roast make some really good vegan roasts which I would definitely agree with. This one, um, I've done myself. Lentil or mushroom walnut loaf. You can make a really good plant-based main dish if you use lentils, veggies, and nuts. Be careful with the nuts, given that so many people have nut allergies. You can also make crispy tofu. And again, as I said before, making your own tofu is kind of fun. And then what you do with the tofu after it's set you can fry it up with a little bit of oil and spices, and it's really quite delicious. Number four, veggie pot pie or shepherd's pie. Okay, this is a really cool one. Go to YouTube and look up Jamie Oliver and vegan shepherd's pie. If you can make one better than this, I would be shocked. It's, it's amazing, and you would not know the difference. Number five, stuffed squash or peppers. You can roast squash or peppers and fill them with rice, veggies, herbs, and plant-based sausage. And just as an aside here, let me stop. Um, I will put all of this information on the resource page on our website, www.foodforwardradio.com. Number six, a green bean casserole made in the traditional way, but with mushroom soup, onion, and crispy fried onions. Now, I've made this for my wife who loves green bean casserole. And believe me, uh, eliminating the cream of mushroom soup from Campbell's is quite easy. Number seven, vegan gravy. 
Many brands like Better Than Bouillon have vegetable or mushroom-based gravy. Um, quite simply, you can get vegetable stock from Trader Joe's or Sprouts or your local grocery store um, and create a roux using uh, a healthy flour, and you've got your own gravy. Mashed potatoes. Now, I, I do a form of this, and it says to use vegan butter, vegan milk, and seasonings. I, to make the carbs a little bit lower, I take celery root and I combine celery root with potatoes. I boil them for about 30 minutes and then I would use vegan butter, milk, cheese, etc. And it's really quite delicious. Um, roasted autumn vegetables, Brussels sprouts, carrots, sweet potatoes, beets, and parsnip. Now you can um, roast some of these together, but you need to be careful before you put these all together you need to put like uh, vegetables regarding their roasting time together. Otherwise, some will come out overdone and some will come out underdone. Cranberry sauce. Now, you can make cranberry sauce instead of sugar. You can use maple syrup. Um, you, and I think that you can have quite a bit of fun if you, you use those as well. Um, before we get to the break, I'm going to um, start and follow up with this after the break, um, there are, you know, YouTube resources that you can use to go and get some ideas. And again, I will put the links on my resource page, www.foodforwardradio.com. One is called Making Thanksgiving Dinner in Four Hours. Um, this is a YouTube video that I've watched, and it's it's really quite you know, good. And it allows you to do it on a very short notice. The second one is a perfect five course Thanksgiving meal, step-by-step -step instructions for an elegant multi-course Thanksgiving dinner. Number three is the easy way to prepare an entire Thanksgiving meal start to finish. Number four is Thanksgiving day dinner guide. And last is our classic Thanksgiving recipes. Um, it is put together uh, a number of different recipes, all in one instructional video. Now, I'm not sure if you could find it on YouTube or, or any other site, but years and years, and I mean years and years ago, Martha Stewart, before she became uh, a somewhat uh, tarnished icon, had a Christmas special on PBS that was actually really quite wonderful. I think it was a couple husbands ago, um, and she would take the barn at one of their uh, homes in the country and turn it into a, a Thanksgiving meal place. And and the recipes that you created were quite wonderful. I have it somewhere on a VHS tape that doesn't didn't hold up too well, but uh, if you can find it on YouTube, I, I would suggest that you um, you know call it up and, and get some ideas and kind of put aside the fact that Martha Stewart's become, you know, somewhat of a, a joke at this point. And while we're at it, if you're thinking about some gifts that you can give vegans during the holiday, let's, let's look at a couple of these. And again, maybe we can add some more after the break. One would be a vegan cookbook. And there's some really good ones. One is called Thug Kitchen and it has nothing to do with being a thug. A second is called ISA, ISA does it. There's vegan Omicron and Oshi Grows. Now, I have found um, through TikTok, through Instagram, and a number of other things, 
the ability to find vegan snacks and spreads. So, so many um, entrepreneurs out there creating products in their home kitchens and then taking them to commissaries. And in fact, we just um, bought uh, this. There's a seed to surf or surf to seed company out in Canada that has created a vegan alternative to crab and a vegan alternative to whitefish. One is using enoki mushrooms. The other is using celery root. So look for these. You know, they make great additions to your meal, particularly if you are a vegan or having vegans over for dinner. So we'll be back with more after this message. We'll tell you about what's coming up in the weeks to come, talk a little bit about my book and more. So we'll be back. From the vivid imagination of acclaimed author Alan Weiner comes a mystery series that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Meet Max Rosen, a spirited young newspaper reporter who finds himself entangled in a web of suspense, secrets, and danger. In What Goes Up, Rosen's instincts lead him to a mystery that soars beyond expectations. This journey continues in Tickle Takedown, where the stakes get higher, the mysteries deeper. And just when you think you have him figured out, Max evolves a nose job, taking us into the mature and thrilling world of investigative journalism. Alan Weiner crafts a world filled with adventure, where every clue counts, every lead matters, and every page turns faster than the last. Dive into the Max Rosen Mysteries series today. Available now on Amazon.com. Max Rosen Mysteries, where intrigue and adventure await at the turn of every page. Brought to you by Alan Weiner, writing stories that take you on a journey, one mystery at a time. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Food Forward with Alan Weiner. Have a question for Alan or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Food Forward, Nourishing the World. I'm your host, Alan Weiner. So before the break, we were talking about gift ideas for vegans during the holiday. And I just wanted to go through a couple more. Um, one is reusable produce bags. So more and more, the, you're seeing companies come out with um, actual plastic made from recycled bags that you can use. And these are also great to put um, toiletries in if you're taking a flight. Or you can use, you know, reusable mesh or cloth bags and you can pick them up. I mean, Trader Joe's has a tremendous supply of those or pretty much every grocery store. There's vegan beauty products. And I know that my wife uses um, vegan makeup, but I use a, a vegan shampoo. There's some really interesting brands. One is called Pacifica. The other is called Acure. Vegan wines. Um, vegan wines. So without going into a lot of detail, um, there's a part of the process where um, wines go through uh, either an uh, something using an egg or something using an animal bladder. 
So to be honest with you, you if you buy a vegan wine, particularly one that's organic, you can be sure that it is certified vegan. And then there's gift cards to a vegan restaurant. And, you know, there are vegan restaurants popping up everywhere. There's some well-known ones in New York. Uh, we ate one in, in Asheville, North Carolina. We've eaten at ones. I think the chef is Tom Kinney, or I know his last name is Kinney. Uh, and he has a, you know, a whole bunch of restaurants that he's been opening uh, around the world, to be honest with you. So a couple things before we kind of call it a day. One, I want to talk about my new book, which is called Watchtower. Um, it is uh, published by Pegasus Publishing. It is available online at any of your uh, well-known bookstores online, like Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. And it is actually also available in bookstores. And if they don't have it on the shelf, uh, it can easily be ordered because it's carried in the warehouses of most of the book wholesalers. Um we, I'm always looking for ideas for the show and feedback. And, you know, feel free to email me, Alan, A-L-L-E-N, at foodforwardradio.com. I want to hear uh, your ideas. I want to get feedback. I want to know what we're doing right. I want to know what we're doing wrong. So feel free. And again, as I said in the opening, all of the episodes of foodforwardradio.com or foodforward radio, pardon me, nourishing the world, are available on demand at the Voice America website. And they're available as podcasts on pretty much every uh, podcast platform. So next time you're cooking dinner or hanging around the kitchen, you can go to your Alexa device and ask for food for nourishing the world. Amazon will call it up. It's kind of weird to hear my own voice when I'm cooking. Next week is a special one. We're going to talk about the healthy side of eating, particularly as we get to the holidays. And we have some really interesting guests in store uh, to talk about healthy eating. Uh, and we have, a, I had an incredible interview with um, the developers of a new whipped cream called Whipnotics. Um, I, you should look forward to that. That's going to be a fun thing to hear. And then uh, I want to add the fact that uh, toward the end of this month and moving into December, uh, my family and I are going to be traveling into in Europe, particularly London, uh, parts of Switzerland and Germany. And the the trip has is a twofold reason. One is just to kind of get away for Thanksgiving, but also to you know look for uh, things to video for the show and to put on um, the web page. And to do some interviews. So, for example, we are going to get to visit Win Win Chocolates in London, a company that I've had on the show, and we're going to sample some of their alternative chocolate. And we will do an interview there. And, you know, you can uh, hear, and then if you go to the video, see our reactions to the chocolate. We're also going to go to a, a alternative um, beverage company, a, a company that makes non-alcoholic spirits. It's called Three Spirits. And we're going to do a, an interview with the founders there for the first time. And if there's something you want to hear, or if you have an idea of a place that we could visit, definitely, you know, I, I, I would love to hear from you. Again, you can follow us on YouTube. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, uh, Twitter, and TikTok. So, 
without further ado, I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'd like to thank our guests. Um, we had Connor Harbison from Atlas Urban Farms, and we had Jonathan Golan from Breville. With that, I hope that everybody is healthy and hearty, particularly in the week ahead and during the holidays. And I want to thank you for listening. I'm Alan Weiner. Until next time. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Food Forward. We hope we've given you some insights into the wide world of food. Until we talk again, have a wonderful week.